It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. The average salary in America, 52 to 60,000, depending on region. Why are we sending gainfully employed people checks? Why, are, why in the world would you ever do that when there's people unemployed that are really hurting? Give them more money. Don't fund people that are already employed. This economy is probably going to run at a 7 to 8% GDP, and we're sprinkling money out of a helicopter down to people that are already employed? That's too blunt an interest. It's way too wasteful. And the risk of inflation becomes a big factor. That hurts everybody. You just can't do this again. We did this already in the first PPP program, which I now think was 60% wasted. I don't want to do it again. Money to people that are unemployed, money for the logistics of vaccinations, that's it. The economy is going to come back screaming. It doesn't need any more stimulus, please. And by the way, there's tons of infrastructure spending in here. Amtrak, Another billion and a half? They haven't even spent the first billion. Why is that in this bill anyways? What does that have to do with COVID? There's so much non-COVID related stimulus in this. It's a horrible, horrible piece of legislation. And I think every American should read it. It's just full of waste. Now, to have a Kevin O'Leary of CNBC, I just wanted you to hear him synopsize what's happening today in Congress. Uh, the bill, the big COVID relief, the emergency, emergency relief. For Americans, uh, is back in the House today and will, of course, be passed because Nancy Pelosi is all about pork. In fact, I just uh, read this morning that part of the $1.9 trillion bill, out of which 9% will go to help Americans with COVID relief, people struggling with businesses, people out of work, 9% of the $1.9 trillion will go to COVID relief to help people like you. Uh, but guess what? But San Francisco is right now, um, just for instance, that's Nancy Pelosi's hometown. They are in a $650 million deficit. That's where they're, that's their bottom line right now. And in this emergency COVID relief bill for the people, oh no, the For the People Act, that's the voting one. This is the emergency relief for Americans. It's just, you know... They're so desperate to help you, and Nancy Pelosi is especially uh, eager to help you, but she's really kind of eager to help her friends in San Francisco because this bill provides San Francisco with $650 million in relief. They're also relieving, you know, Chicago, New York City, all those uh, cities and states that are very blue and like to spend a lot of money, and most of that money actually goes uh, to the people at the top, not to the average normal people. They give them enough to make them feel like they're t taking care of them, wink and a nod, if you'll just keep voting for us. Uh, but that's part of what's in this bill. Um, by the way, San Francisco, uh, in this bill, there's $21,000 of paid leave to San Francisco workers. 
plus the potential of $25,000 bonuses to them. Uh, so I'm just... Um, I just wanted you to know that's what's being passed today because it's all for you. It's all, it's COVID relief. It's all for you. It's emergency spending. A lot of it won't go into effect for two years, but it's an, it's an emergency. So uh, while you're drowning, uh, just remember help was on the way in about two years. Uh, Biden's uh, $1.9 trillion stimulus plan also, according to this article I read this morning by Nicholas Bollacy, it will expand what they call the social safety net. And what that means is it will expand, well, I'll just put it in my own words, socialism, uh, the reliance on government by people. It expands it at an unprecedented level, says the headline. I'll give you an idea. It's the second largest, quote, rescue package in U.S. history. Uh, it is uh, a direct stimulus payment of uh, $1,400 per adult who file tax returns with a social security number. Uh, the amount of the rebate begins to phase out for individuals earning $80,000 per year or, or above. So, as uh, Kevin mentioned in that clip, it's for everybody. People that are employed never lost their jobs. People that really didn't suffer, uh, they're going to get it too. But that's fair, right? And uh, those of you who have lost your jobs because businesses can't survive, well, you'll get the same amount, $1,400. And that'll be very helpful, won't it? Uh, considering that you have to pay your rent and feed your family, uh, well, anyway, that's uh, that's the fairness. That's the new that's the new fairness, and so it will also expand the earned income tax credit and child tax credit. Okay, you ready for this? Now, some of you will be happy about this, but remember that uh, probably it won't all be Americans who get this. I'm just guessing. I didn't see that part in this, but since it's happened in the past that illegal immigrants are getting the earned child tax credit. It'll be $3,000 per child and $3,600 for children under age six. Wow, that's, that's, uh, that's great. We'll be making money off uh, those of us that have small children. I'm not one of them. We'll be making lots of money from Uncle Sam. And uh, the bill increases the maximum earned income tax credit uh, on in 2021 from, well, it doubles it to make it, or triples it, actually. Oh, there's so much more here. Um, they're saving all the workers' pensions. <laughs> you know, like I think of my home state of Illinois where retired professors, some of them are making as much as $300,000 a year. And the pension system in Illinois, just to make this make sense to you why I'm so sarcastic, uh, the pension system in Illinois is tanking and has been for years and because they just keep spending like uh, drunken sailors giving the unions workers, the state and federal work, state workers, uh, more and more raises, everything they want, benefits, uh, time off. It's a it's pretty good gig. Uh, and so uh, the pensions have just been saved by this bill. It's the American, you know, it's the emergency COVID bill that's going to be saving Illinois and those professors making $300,000 a year on their pensions. Uh, so now there's more to it, but I just want to give you an idea of what's happening today in your Congress. And the unserious nature, serious, um, let me put it this way. I think that some of them are unserious. They're not very smart, and they're not thinking things, things through. But others are crazy like a fox. They know exactly what they're doing. This is an attempt to bankrupt the nation. And um, this will likely, as Kevin hinted at, all of this spending and all of this printing of money uh, will cause inflation to come at us like a Mack truck. And that means your money won't be worth much. 
Uh, any money that you have, nothing will be worth hardly anything. Uh, I remember seeing that happen. Now, this isn't uh, this is not Zimbabwe, but I remember my my good friend missionary in Zimbabwe for years. And after the revolution there, uh, they had like a ten thousand like a ten thousand dollar bill unit was worth you know like a dollar. That's how bad inflation is. So you may have you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it will be worth not much. Depends on the amount of inflation. Now, I'm not declaring that's actually going to happen, but it's probably going to happen. And it's just something we need to be prepared for. Of course, gas prices are soaring. And the article in my hand today says, as gas prices soar, Americans can blame Joe Biden. Excuse me, allergies again. Of course, we all know about his um, shutting down of the Keystone Pipeline, his shutting down of uh, drilling in, in other places, is just putting the brakes on our ability to use our energy reserves, whether it's shale or fracking, and doing everything they can to stop that. And so gas prices are already soaring. You could see that at the pump. The person that writing, writing this is Liz Peake. I think she's Wall Street Journal. I'm not sure. Uh, but the, but the, they, they talk about how uh, President Biden has alienated the Saudis and that means that they have now refused to release their oil, which is making the prices go even higher because they're not real happy with what the Biden administration is doing uh, with them and policy issues. And so here we go into a, kind of a very dangerous place, I think. And this really caught my eye this morning. In fact, this came into my inbox just as I was uh, the music was playing and I was going on. And, uh, but I printed it out. I want to at least give you a, a taste of it. The Pacific commander for uh, the United States, well, I'll just read it. The top U.S. commander in the Indo-Pacific pointed to a Chinese Air Force propaganda video Tuesday when making his case to senators why there is an urgent need to build a missile defense system in Guam. Guam is a target today. It needs to be defended, Admiral Phil Davidson said when asked to explain why he claims to need $1.65 billion over five years to fund an um, Aegis Ashore radar and a missile defense system on the American territory. And it's been evidenced by me and displayed by the Chinese in a propaganda video of their own bomber forces attacking Anderson Air Force Base in Guam. It prevents a cheap shot. Oh, there's a lot more to that. It's a long article, which I haven't had a chance to read. The point is, the burner is turning up big time on the dangers coming from China. And I'm going to give you several other indicators here this morning because I want, I don't know, sometimes I wonder, you know, I do wonder, is it better just not to know? Is it better to know that disaster's coming or is it better just not to know? I honestly can't answer that. So I'm just not in the luxury, I'm not in a position of the luxury of not uh, knowing. <laughs> but I, I feel like I have to tell you, I, don't I have to tell you if disaster's coming? And so uh, uh, President Xi is telling his military to be prepared. He's citing uh, Taiwan, things that are happening in Taiwan. Taiwan, of course, is independent of the mainland, but China, uh, the, the Communist Party China, uh, has never uh, viewed Taiwan as a separate entity. Taiwan has had a free market economy, has uh, flourished and been very successful apart from their communist overlords. Uh, they broke. They were uh, a given freedom, I think, after World War II. Sorry that I'm not sure about that, but I think that's the timing and so um, President Xi is, you know, gearing up because they want Taiwan back. They want to enslave the people there, just like they're doing in Hong Kong. The stories I'm hearing out of Hong Kong are horrific. People are disappearing on the streets. 
all those people that we heard uh, that were singing those worship. Look, I don't know where they are specifically. I can only assume that the people in the streets singing uh, worship songs um, are being roundly punished, certainly rounded up, uh, and uh, they've gone silent, have they not? Have you heard from them? I haven't heard from them. I was told uh, recently by the Chinese experts that Hong Kong is uh, considering taking up passports and not allowing people to leave. They're actually considering stopping people from leaving the what's beautiful, free, prosperous jewel of that part of the world. Uh, They're thinking about taking people's passports and not letting them leave. So uh, the people of Taiwan under a direct threat, and one of the reasons they are is because the United States has stuck by them, uh, completely pledged through treaties our military might against any incursion and uh, invasion and has been, you know, the thing. I think the Taiwanese would say, would agree, that has kept China from invading Taiwan. But now things are changing because the Biden administration doesn't seem to, well, let's see, they've made a lot of deals. Their family has been enriched by China. Biden's son has been enriched by China. Uh, President uh, Biden was the point person on China, appointed by Barack Obama, and they've made some really good deals with China. So they're not so concerned about China, and China knows that. So this is what's happening in Taiwan. At least uh, uh, Xi is telling them to be prepared. He's saying, get ready. Uh, I told you uh, that they are actually genetically altering their soldiers to make them better fighters. I can't explain more besides that, but I'll have Gordon Chang back to explain it at some point. Here's another one. Uh, The Uyghur Muslims are being eradicated. I think Christians are too. I read the most horrific article yesterday. I'm not going to go into that. I think it would really upset you to know what they're doing to people. It's just amazing to me the wickedness that people can perpetrate on other people. And China is full of wickedness. And uh, their, their sights are aimed at us. There is no question about it. We have a weak commander-in-chief uh, who won't do anything, I don't think. I don't think until probably it may be way too late. But uh, here we are. Uh, we are in a strange time. I feel like we're sort of in that eye of the hurricane right now. But... Um, I talked about courage yesterday. Boy, maybe I better roll that little speech out again. Uh, But coming up next, something to give you some hope, something you can do about your children and what's happening in public schools. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Maybe you've heard about MediShare and you know what it is. It's the affordable alternative to health insurance. But you've wondered, can I really save a significant amount of money on my monthly health care bills? And the answer is an emphatic, yes, you can. You can save a lot of money. Whether it's just for you or for an entire family, MediShare has an option for you. In fact, the typical family saves $500 a month switching to MediShare. And it really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. You get free telehealth services. You get a huge network of doctors. You get great customer support. And you get the sense of security that comes from being a part of 400,000 people who share not just each other's medical bills, but purpose, too. MediShare is a community of Christians who pull together and pray for each other, which is very refreshing right now. 
If you want more info, it's so simple. You can get a price within two minutes. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. You know, it was 110 degrees in Ethiopia, Africa. Hundreds had gathered for Sunday worship outdoors, and I learned that some had walked an hour or more just to be there. Afterwards, I met Cademan, hunched over a table and frantically copying scriptures from an Amharic language Bible to a line piece of paper. Then his face turned sad as he closed the Bible and handed it back to its rightful owner. Only a few in that church to have a Bible. You see, Cademan loves the Lord, leads his family, is faithful at worship, but he's never read a single verse in his own Bible because he does not own one. While we in America can open our Bibles every day, nine of ten Christians in parts of Africa are denied God's Word. And that's why Bible League is focused right now on Africa, the place in the world where Christianity is growing in the greatest numbers. A Bible can be sent for $5, $50 will send 10. Learn how you can be a blessing by calling 800 Yes Word. 800 Yes Word or by visiting sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595. The Biden administration announced today big changes coming to the Pentagon under the president's plan. It's not going to be so much about learning how to kill the enemy as it is about hairstyles and tailored combat uniforms. The president announcing that the military is designing body armor for women, tailoring combat uniforms for female soldiers. He said part of that plan includes updating appropriate hairstyles. Think camo scrunchies. President Biden also said the Pentagon will be making maternity flight suits. The announcement coming on International Women's Day, part of the administration's efforts to make the military more gender inclusive. Part of that plan involves letting soon-to-be moms drop bombs on the enemy. Now look, some of you may call me a male chauvinist or sexist, but I have a big problem with sending pregnant moms into combat. That's not just un-American, it's ungodly. Be sure to read more about this story. Download my free podcast at toddstarns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Parents and students protested in Calabasas today, demanding that schools across L.A. County resume in-person classes immediately. This is absurd that we've been closed for a year now. Jaden Strommer says many students at both public and private schools in L.A. County are falling behind doing only online classes. It's really important for people like me who um, have some trouble focusing on certain things. Um, to be in class in the environment with the teacher so you can get one-on-one help if you need it. LAUSD staff is now being vaccinated, which meets one of the demands of the teachers union to get school workers back on campus. But union leaders have opposed any return until L.A. County's seven-day average infection rate drops low enough to get L.A. County out of the restrictive purple tier. I am in favor of teachers being able to be vaccinated prior to going back, but UTLA is making a lot of uh, 
demands. Some parents in support of the teachers union took part in a recent car caravan protest, but others feel the union is being unreasonable. While they, you know, have valid concerns about their own health and safety, I think we have a lot of data that shows that schools can open safely, especially in a place like Los Angeles where we have outdoor space. Raj Raghavan says his son, who's in second grade at Melrose Avenue Elementary, is too young to focus for long periods of time online, and LAUSD needs to move quicker to get him back in the classroom. Unless I'm monitoring what he's doing on the device, he's off on YouTube, he's doing other things, and it's I don't blame him, he's seven years old. All right, Sandy Rios with you. That was NBC of Los Angeles. You know, I can't think of uh, a subject. Well, there are probably lots of them, but this has been a subject. The What's happening in public school education in America for me, for a couple of decades now at least, uh, starting when my own children were in school, uh, it has been a train wreck to watch. Uh, it's not just the COVID situation now, which is bad enough. It's a, another death blow to the effectiveness of American public school uh, but it's been the indoctrination, it's been the um, the sexualizing, it's been the lack of academic content, it's been um, all kinds of wretched things have happened in public schools. And so uh, aside, along with that, this uh, the homeschool movement has, I remember when it started, I remember all the criticisms, and I remembered as I watched it grow, now my own children, my own grandchildren, all four of them are homeschooled. So uh, that's kind of my own background on this before we begin the, the discussion. An organization has formed that I think that you will find fascinating and something you need to know about. It's called Public School Exit. Their byline is providing parents and, and the church opportunities to rescue our children from public schools and reclaim K-12 through education. My guest is Alex Newman. He's the executive director, and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me. You know, most people in your position get into that position uh, because of something. That there's something in their lives, some incident. How about for you? Why this issue? Well, you know, it's kind of a funny story. I literally never set foot in an American school. I grew up outside of the country. But when I came back to America, I started researching what was going on. I did go to university, and I was just blown away by the indoctrination, by the, the dumbed-down level of the so-called education. And I started digging into education when Common Core was coming around, and the more I researched, the more I realized we had a major problem. Uh, I ended up getting a phone call from Dr. Samuel Blumenfeld, who spent 60 years of his life dealing with education. And his big passion was trying to save as many children as possible from illiteracy, which basically was being mass-produced in our public schools. So he asked me if I would co-write a book with him. I did. It was called Crimes of the Educators. And that, for me, was an incredibly eye-opening experience. And from there, you know, the more I researched, the more I realized, hey, we can't keep giving parents the option to send their children to these schools anymore. It's not like, you know, maybe they're going to be okay. You're literally playing Russian roulette with your children. And if you look at the data, this just becomes so clear, Sandy. Something yes. like 80 to 90 percent of the Christian children who spend 12 years in these government indoctrination centers are going to leave their faith. They're going to leave the church. Uh, as a Christian parent, those odds are completely unacceptable to me. And the worst part is it's by design. And don't get me started on the academics. If you look at the government's own data, now this isn't Alex Newman speaking, this is the government's own data, something like less than one-third, in, in some subjects it's less than one-fourth, of American children in government schools are even proficient 
right? We're not talking about they've mastered it or they're excellent at it or they're good at it or they're decent at it. We're talking basic proficiency. Less than a third of our students reach basic proficiency. Yes. So this is just I, not acceptable. Parents yeah, need to Alex, take their kids out as far as I can see. Yeah, Alex, you're gonna you're gonna answer all my questions without any questions, which I'm glad we're on the same track. I just want to say that I'm, we're having a little trouble hearing you. And so if there's anything you can do to adjust that, I don't know if you can, but uh, I just want to tell you that maybe, Adam, maybe you could boost his level a little bit. All right, so let's talk about what you just said. <laughs> because um, the quality of education, I've watched, I've watched the, the scores just drop. I've watched them internationally through the years, Alex. It's just, uh, it is just, uh, I don't even know. Can you quantify? You just gave us a stat about uh, uh, only a quarter can, you know, have basic competency. But, like, as we compare to other school systems around the world, do you have any idea of the, the comparisons compared to what they used to be? Yes, and, and if you look at the international data, now I'll, I'll throw in the caveat, these international tests, there's a, a test called the PISA test which ranks the United States compared with other industrialized countries. And uh, we are pretty close to the bottom of the pack at this point. There is a caveat there that these tests kind of come at education from a very left-wing perspective. But in my experience, and I, I lived in eight different countries on four different continents, the U.S. education system is the worst that I have seen anywhere. Okay? I, I literally was educated in Mexico and Brazil uh, I mean, I can tell you, even the kids in, in the poor public schools there can read better than American children. They can do basic math better than American children. Uh, the rankings are a disaster. The data is a disaster. And the worst part, Sandy, and this is the part that people struggle to, to get over, is that this was deliberate. Okay, you know, people say it's an accident. We act like, oh, you know, so something went wrong with policy. No, no, no. The people who engineered this did it deliberately, and the amount of evidence to support that is overwhelming. And you can see this, right? Americans are not stupid. We didn't just accidentally end up with an education system that was dumbing our children down. Somebody wanted it that way, and the evidence for that is huge. You know, Alex, I actually had a front row seat to that. I'll just say this. When I I was going to be a teacher (laughs) 100 years ago, I planned to be a teacher, and that's what I trained for. I was a music educator, uh, but I ended up uh, substituting in a lot of different, because I never did really teach. I ended up being going in as a musician. But um, I did have a front row seat to going into schools and subbing, and it was the early 70s. And when I grew up and went to school, and I'm this old I am, I, I went to school in the 50s and 60s, uh, we had one of the greatest education systems in the world. Our scores were off the charts. We were sending guys to space. Uh, but I saw when I went back into the teachers' lounges that those were the years when, I'm sorry, that's when schools started unionizing. Teachers' unions came in, and the thing that I spotted immediately was the hostility, the anger, the bitterness of teachers toward administrators that had never been there before. To my knowledge, they'd worked together. I saw the union just poison the well, and 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 I saw then that's when academics just began to plunge. And it's just been shocking. Now, all right, we have to move quickly, quicker than I'm moving, uh, because I want to talk to you about homeschooling. Uh, were you schooled then in the schools where you were living, or were you homeschooled, Alex? Uh, I was primarily in international schools growing up. So okay. uh, we do homeschool my children now, and we absolutely love it. So. Yeah. Well, my kids are in Scotland, and my, my daughter-in-law is uh, teaching my four, four grandchildren. But um, all right, so homeschooling started out fledgling, a lot of criticism, uh, what, how can we quantify now, Alex, how homeschool children are doing? You, you think about these moms, how can they possibly uh, train, mostly moms, 
uh, can train and uh, educate children when they have no background in teaching. They maybe don't have the skills, they think, to teach all these uh, different subject matters. So how are homeschool children faring with public school children in America? It's interesting you ask because there is now mountains and mountains of data on this exact question. In fact, the, the place where you can find a lot of that is at the National Home Education Research Institute. That's uh, Dr. Brian Ray who uh, compiles all that. And the data is crystal clear at this point. Uh, homeschooled children are running circles around the victims of the government schools. They're scoring you know, 30 to 40 points higher on the government's own standardized uh, academic achievement tests than in, you know, typically the 90th percentile on average. Uh, you look at the socialization. Right? That's the question homeschoolers always say. Well, how are we going to get socialized? Well, don't worry. Go look at the data. Homeschoolers are better socialized than victims of government schools by far. Right? They, they take less drugs. They communicate. They, they deal better with people of all ages. They, they get better jobs. They do better in college. Uh, they, they're more tolerant. Right? They're better on, on essentially every metric. So we now have the data. And this actually makes sense. right? I, I think when you read Scripture, uh, the primary role over education is clearly assigned to parents. And in fact, you can read scripture every which way, upside down, backwards, and sideways. You will never find any delegation of authority over education to Caesar. And I, I think that's where we really went wrong. Parents just said, hey, you know, why don't we just hand our kids over to the government instead of looking at what God says, looking at what the Bible says, and saying, hey, we are in charge of teaching our children. We are in charge of uh, passing on the faith to our children and teaching them a biblical worldview and teaching them the laws of God. And I, I think when you look at what God says and then you look at the data, it paints a very clear picture. Homeschooling is superior in essentially every way. Uh, and that's not to say, you know, there's something wrong with sending your children to, to a great Christian school that you've properly vetted, but I do think homeschooling is the gold standard, and I think that's becoming clearer every day, Sandy. Yeah, I think you're right. But, Alex, there are a lot of people, uh, you know this, these are basic questions that you've been dealing with for years. Uh, the, the obvious question, you know, you've got people working, struggling. Uh, it's interesting, during this time of COVID, a lot of people have had a lot more time at home and kind of uh, realized how horrible the their children, how horribly their children are being educated, maybe for the first time by watching them be, be taught online. And so I think there's a renewed hunger uh, for trying to make this work. And that's what you guys are all about, is actually trying to help people make this work. Can you just kind of give us an idea what kinds of things you suggest? How could people start? Where is that place? Yeah, well, there's several things we're doing at Public School Exit. One of the things we want to make sure of is that there is no family, there's no child that is trapped in a government school. And so we've started a scholarship fund now. You know, people have money and want to help fund children getting out. Uh, we can facilitate that if you're a family, a you know, low-income family that really is struggling financially to do the right thing. We want to step in and help. So that's one of the things we're doing. We are also now reaching out to pastors all across the nation, and we're partnering with uh, state-based uh, pro-family organizations. We just signed an agreement, for example, with the Illinois Family Institute, well, we're going to be reaching out to pastors. We're already doing this and helping them to get something established at their church. If it's a big church, maybe they want to start a Christian school. If it's a small church, maybe they want to join with other churches and start a Christian school. Maybe they want to start a homeschool co-op or a scholarship fund so that members of their congregation can pull their children out. But even more importantly, we are teaching pastors and we're training pastors in what the Bible says about education, what our obligation as Christians is to our children, to our congregation, uh, and also just what's going on in public schools. I think there's a tremendous ignorance in America. People say, well, you know, I went to public school 50 years ago, and it wasn't that bad. 
Well, right. yeah, maybe it wasn't that bad 50 years ago. Today, by the time your children are in kindergarten, they're teaching them transgenderism and, and critical race theory and social justice. Uh, they're literally turning our children against God, against their families, against their country. And so we at public school are doing everything we can to educate parents, educate pastors, and to facilitate this mass exodus. And, you know, frankly, it's already started. Um, this kind of started out as a fringe issue some years ago, but just in the last couple of years, we had Rush Limbaugh, biggest talk show host in America, said, parents, you got to get your kids out. We had Franklin Graham say the same thing. We had a President Trump multiple times say, we have to protect our children from the indoctrination of these failing government schools. So the tides have shifted. Uh, the number of homeschool families has more than doubled since COVID began. So we're moving in the right direction, but we've got to move a whole lot faster, and that's what public school is here to do. Let me just uh, commend Alex to to my listeners your your uh, your website because it's excellent. Publicschoolexit.com. I'm looking at it right now. You've got webinars, uh, you have manuals, you have all kinds of resources for people, don't you, to just kind of explore how they might how they might go about doing this. Yes, we do. Yeah, and uh, we're now forming consultation committees, basically. Uh, rapid response teams where we'll send in a team of our experts. People can look at our advisory board. These are incredible people. These are some of the top leaders uh, in, in the Christian world, in the legal world, in ministry, and education. Uh, the former superintendent of, uh, of public schools in Arizona is on our board. And so basically when a church says we want help doing something, we'll find out what they want to do, what they need. We'll send in the people. We'll send the resources and we will help them stand up whatever it is they need for their particular congregation to make sure that those children no longer have to be indoctrinated and sexualized and dumbed down in the public schools. And they can, and your children can succeed. I remember reading, uh, it's been a few years now, uh, so I don't have the stats in front of me, Alex, but a lot of the major schools, even Ivy League schools, were seeking out homeschool kids uh, because they yes, could yes. read and write. I've, I've talked to professors you know, the kids cannot read and write. They can't do basic English. Uh, they don't have basic English skills. They can speak, you know, but they don't know how to translate that. And everything, all these academic uh, subjects are based on communicating in the English language and being able to write. So they have to teach some of the basics before they can even get into the subject matter. Uh, this is fascinating, and I think you would agree, Alex, that this whole COVID thing has, as God always does, uses terrible things for good. And I think parents are really, really interested in uh, getting their kids properly educated. One last word from you quickly, just 30 seconds. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, Sandy. I couldn't agree. You know, a lot of bad things happen in COVID. The enemy has taken a lot of ground. However, there is this silver lining. God is using it to wake his people up to what's going on in the schools. Uh, I hope people will get in touch with us. You can go to publicschoolexit.com. Uh, we're here to serve you and to serve the children, get them out of these institutions. Uh, Very it's critical good. for the birds. It's critical Excellent. for our family. Thank you. Yes, Alex, Alex Newman, publicschoolexit.com. All right, thanks, Alex. Thanks so much. Keep in touch. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Listen to Don. Join in every week. Dr. Greg Smalley, a focus on the family. Listen to the wisdom this man gives and emulate that. Don, you do that so well. I definitely have learned over 20 plus years that we've been doing radio together. Mm. So many things from you. So find a guy that you look up to and just start learning. Encouragement Live with Don Hawkins. Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 Eastern. Here on American Family Radio. 
I'm Francine Perry. I am the mother of Laura Perry, who was a prodigal for nine years. And I would just like to tell you that prayer changes things. Yes, you grieve over the prodigal, but God will comfort you. The Holy Spirit will comfort you. Submit a prayer request for a prodigal at inhisimage.movie. My heart's desire is that more churches would start a prodigal box because we all have someone. Inhisimage.movie. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. What is the proper role of government? Romans chapter 13 outlines government's function, and it is basically this, to restrain or to punish wickedness and to reward righteousness. Government was never intended to be our savior. Government is our servant. As we focus on our civil occupations and our civic engagement responsibilities, let us never forget that government is not our God. We don't put our trust in it. We put our trust in our Christ. As a result, what we want is a government that stays out of our way and leaves room for our church to do our business of fulfilling the Great Commission. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. When John Roberts was appointed to the Supreme Court, he made a big deal out of saying that his job as a judge was just to call balls and strikes like an umpire. But this week, out of all nine justices, he was the only one who voted against the First Amendment in a case in which a Christian student was punished at a Georgia college for exercising his freedom of religion and speech, rights plainly guaranteed in the First Amendment. Even the regressive extremists on the court could recognize an egregious violation of the Constitution when they saw one. An umpire is not allowed to make up his own rules. They've been given to him by the Rules Committee of Baseball. And the rules for Supreme Court justices have been given to them in the Bill of Rights. Sadly, our current Chief Justice no longer believes that. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. On Monday, Joe Biden's State Department spokesman attempted to explain that his administration agrees that the Chinese Communist Party used to be engaged in genocide against Uyghur Muslims and other ethnic minorities, but it isn't saying whether the CCP is still doing so. Now, there's no evidence that anything has changed in Western China. Scores of concentration camps still operate there. Women are still being subjected to serial rape and involuntary abortions and sterilizations. And slave labor factories still manufacture goods for American companies and markets. The only change is that after the president spoke for two hours to the man responsible for this genocide, China's dictator Xi Jinping, Mr. Biden seemed to excuse Xi's crimes against humanity because China just has different cultural norms. Sort of like Joe Biden used to be president but it's not clear whether he still is. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, with George Gascon's new policies, he don't think that um, criminals under the age of 26 should have stiff, harsh penalties. And one that they granted parole, but he hasn't gotten parole yet. I'm getting to the governor to stop that. He... um, Um, only did 11 years off of a 15-year-to-life sentence. 
So and then when it come time for me to go to the parole hearing, they only gave me one week's notice. I had no representation and I ended up having to ask for my son's file so that I could represent my son as a as if, if I was a prosecutor instead of being given my income, uh, my um impact statement, I was literally trying to do the legal part to help them understand what really happened to my son. He was beat up at the party for being the only black, and then they chased him 100 yards. The perpetrator, the, the murderer that they're trying to let out, he beat him up at the party with the other 14 to 20 murderers and then they chased him 100 yards he was actually the one that caught my son they beat him with boards and sticks he had blunt force trauma to the head multiple fatal stab wounds multiple oh. non-fatal stab wounds a, gu a gunshot wound to the head they uh, stabbed him in the heart they robbed him they pulled him pants down they left him in the street naked in front of a hundred plus witnesses this is how treacherous these people are and they call themselves the mexican tinto killers everything about this case has been a fight for me justice did not just come for my son i had to go for justice they kill my son over and over and over again in los angeles county everything about my son's case i have to fight to get him any on every level i have to fight for my son this man was granted parole at the parole hearing they didn't let us speak we cried we tried to talk and do the things she literally said deborah san juan said to him congratulations you made parole and he started to cry and she says oh don't cry don't cry don't cry. Um, we're not going to hold your past against you. That was Jessica Cord. <clears throat> and she was on with Judge Janine. She was talking about, as you know, the murder of her son. And here's the, here's the point of me playing that for you. Uh, we have uh, an epidemic of prosecutors, local prosecutors, who have been elected uh, by George Soros targeting those districts uh, and getting people in office, we have uh, in San Francisco the same thing. Uh, in in um, uh, Chicago, uh, Kim, whatever her name is, the one that uh, did not prosecute the actor uh, who you know made up this big lie about how he was beaten in a racial crime. Uh, leftist uh, prosecutors. Uh, that's what George Soros chose to spend some of his money on this past, uh, in the last few years with elections. Secretary of State's the same thing. Uh, because they're targeting people who can um, implement their policies, and their policies, among other things, on the left is uh, not to is to do away with prisons, not to punish criminals. It is the most wicked. Talk about justice. In the guise of social justice, it is the ultimate injustice, the lack of punishment. That is part of what. God's system is that when we do something, you know what was that old saying? You know, if you if you do, if you um, if you've done the crime, you have to do the time. Well, that's a vernacular, American vernacular, but that's God's idea that we should be not go unpunished. That it's good for us. It's good for our mental health to be held account for the things that we do. Sometimes God shows mercy and sometimes grace, but. And sometimes judges do the same thing, but the left doesn't want 
any of that. They want no punishment, just like they didn't want you to discipline your children. Dr. Spock was the first person to tell us that. Just, oh, oh, honey, I love you. And love would, you know, cover a multitude of sins. And your child could say, I hate you, I hate you. And you say, I love you back. And that's supposed to be the, uh, that's going to fix everything. Uh, not really. It creates chaos. It creates, I believe, part of the reason our younger generation is so messed up, apart from what we just talked about with public schools, is because they have never really been held to account. Even if it's not terrible things they've done, it's their selfishness, it's their attitudes, it's their lack of respect. Oh, honey, you're perfect. You're a princess. You're a what? Fill in the blank. You're wonderful. Oh, you feel this way? Oh, it's just amazing. And it's created, I think, mental instability. And yet that's what the left is working toward. And George Gascon, by the way, is the uh, the uh, L.A. County District at, um, Attorney who's going to let who let this guy go. There's a whole bunch of them. There, this is a movement around the country, and we will talk about it more because there's a big bill coming up in Congress in regard to that too. But I wanted to make a point this morning about how wicked – the policies of the left are how wicked it is to plunge this country into so much debt that we will likely suffer incredible inflation. We will probably have gasoline prices that will be seven and eight dollars, uh, and we and many people who are trying to work. Uh, again, I've said this earlier in the week. People who live in larger states like Texas with more territory to cover, uh, their backs will be broken. Uh, their backs will be broken by the energy prices that will ensue in other ways. Uh, because remember, Barack Obama was all in on this. Remember when he campaigned, he says, under my plan, energy prices will necessarily skyrocket. And the people cheered. And the people cheered. And that's what's coming, all of that. Um, and that, I, that, that kind of gives a backdrop for what I'm about to share with you, because I read this just this morning. I wasn't going to spend much time on it, but the more I read it, the matter I got. Because uh, it's uh, Russell Moore from the Southern Baptist Convention just did an interview with Time Magazine. So I'm going to read this to you and just comment on a few things as we go. Russell Moore is the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptists. He's very controversial as a result of the controversy. Something like 100 Southern Baptist church, churches have uh, either withheld their money or threatened to withhold their money. First Baptist Dallas does not uh, contribute to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention because of the ERLC and other churches as well. Russell has caused, caused quite a stir. So I won't go back and talk about those things, but I'll talk about this thing because this is current. Uh, let's say Russell Moore does not like uh, Donald Trump, and he's very embarrassed about uh primarily Baptists, but Christians, more broadly, evangelicals, who supported him. He thinks that that is um, horrific and that it's done great harm to the gospel. Okay, so that's the backdrop if you know nothing more about it. So this is the article. This is in the Christian Post. In the aftermath of a contentious election season, Southern Baptist ethicist Russell Moore warned the church against cynicism and stressed that followers of Christ must now, quote, recover the credibility of our witness. I would say, I'm going to stop right there. Yeah, I would say we do in this sense. We need to recover the credibility of our witness from embracing Marxist ideas like critical race theory, like whiteness, accusing everyone of being a racist, creating division among our people over their color, um, social justice Marxist style. That's what Russell has promoted, even if people don't recognize it. 
critical race theory is just one issue, just one area of it. Yes, we need to recover the credibility of our witness over those issues. This interview in Time Magazine was published last Thursday, and in that uh, issue, 49-year-old Moore lamented the fact that politics have become deeply intertwined with the many people's understanding of the church. That's true. And I'm not saying that's a good thing either. We do absolutely, well, most of the, the people I know and the people I'm talking to right now, that's you. You get the difference, right? You do not worship a politician. You kind of figured that out, right? You sort of thought, as Russell doesn't seem to understand, that your conviction and passion to serve the Lord Jesus meant that you had conviction and passion over immoral, ungodly, Marxist ideas, and you thought you should act on them. I think that's what you thought. That's what I thought. But no, not according to Russell. He says, I don't know a single family that's not been divided over President Trump and politics generally. I don't know a single church that hasn't been. Well, that's true. It's very true. It's sad. Uh, but I do remember, isn't there a scripture? Didn't Jesus say that we would be divided? And we'd be divided not over uh, error, but over truth. Uh, that these kinds of things would expose us. Um, and it causes division in families. It's not the first time. This has been happening since the first century. Families have been divided over truth. And I think, you know, he says President Trump, but really it's truth of the truth of the issues involved. As a result, the biggest threat facing the American church right now, he says, is secularism, not secularism, but cynicism. That's why we have to recover the credibility of our witness. And I would just say to Russell, if I had him at the mic with me, your people are in great danger from a new Marxist-driven regime. Many of them went to the Capitol, and you're, you're calling them racists. And they're your people. Many of them are evangelical Christians, and you're calling them racist. You're embarrassed by them. And they are being pursued like, um, like animals, uh, not given rights. I read you the story yesterday about the 18-year-old boy who's been in uh, jail now. I don't know if they're Christians. I think they might be. I don't know. But he's been in jail without bail for the last three months. Uh because the Justice Department will let him go because he thought, he said, he, we will not say that the election was not stolen, and so he must be detained. And now his parents are in trouble, too, because they're being accused of, like, fostering that big lie. How dare they? Your people, Russell Moore, are being punished and pursued. They are likely to lose their jobs. Some of them will go to jail. The, they will, their backs will be broken, many of them. They will not be able to survive this. That family I mentioned yesterday, the mother said at the end of the article, we are broken. Those kinds of people, many of them are Christ followers who were actually acting on their convictions instead of flapping their jaws in criticism, which is what Russell Moore does. Or he does also interviews with Time. He's been in time a lot. He's been in the New York Times, Washington Post. He's become quite a famous person. I haven't seen him. I don't know. I don't think he'll be pursued, at least not yet, except he will eventually, because when the Marxists take over, they will be after anybody who names the name of Jesus, and Russell will not be exempt. So your people are in great danger from a new Marxist-driven regime, and you're worried. Uh, about you're embarrassed and you're focusing on your disdain for your brothers who embraced 
uh, Donald Trump because you think that's horrible because of his immoral past. Because I guess you don't have an immoral past. Nothing in your life that Jesus had to save you from, right, Russell? While it's one thing to dismiss Christianity as strange and unlikely, Moore added, that if people walk away from the church because they don't believe that we really believe what we say, then that's a crisis. Who are you talking about, Russell? Are you talking about those people that actually laid their lives and their futures on the line by stepping out and doing something? Are you talking about yourself? Do you believe what you're saying? When you've taught all these young pastors over the last 10 years or so, do you really believe what you're saying? Do, is this interview personal PR for you, or is it passion for the gospel that's making you accuse the brethren in the way that you are so harshly, adding to their burden by calling them Christian nationalists and your embarrassment about them? And then he says, there is an entire generation of people who are growing cynical that religion is just a means to some other end. I guess I can't help but think that that might be a window into your own sentiment, Russell. Are you getting cynical? And is religion, your faith, your position, is it just a means to an end? Is it? I'm just wondering. Um, Because I don't think that's the case with people who are involved right now. I don't think so. And my my listeners, who I think are the people you hate, um, their faith is genuine, and it has not been shaken. Oh, they've been disappointed. But their faith in Jesus has not been shaken, and they're not cynical about their faith. And maybe some of you are, and you can call me and, and correct me if I'm wrong about that. And, and the, let me go on, because it, I have to get through some of this. He said um, in Relevant Magazine, in another interview, he said, while there's a temptation to check out from politics, the church must be the people who are choosing voice more than we are choosing exit. I, I, I really, he's responsible for hundreds of young Southern Baptist pastors choosing to go silent in 2020. And they're confused and misled by his teaching. It's personal confusion, and he's responsible for a ton of it. And one last thing, he talks about how Biden, uh, do you, what does he say? He believes that President Barack Obama, like President Barack Obama, Biden has shown he is willing and eager to listen to people who disagree with him. And he says that I'm willing to listen to views I disagree with and to grow. Really like thruples and gender-neutral pronouns and a China building their military to come and attack and probably decimate the United States. Is that, are you willing to talk about and embrace kind of those thoughts? Because those are the thoughts coming out of this administration. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.